First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Read with me, would you? You can follow along too on the overheads. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I want to speak to you just for a few moments on this subject, faith that fights. Faith that fights. Let's pray. Father, help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see so many of you here. My dear friends, like I said, Dr. Chris, it's great to see you. And again, you're moving up here, Tiffany, Carlos. I, it's just awesome. And Rachel, what a blessing for you to be up with sis and helping them move. Uh, if you don't have a good church, let me recommend one right here. And uh, my dear, dear friends, Stan and Karen, what a blessing. And all of you, you guys are just great folks. So thanks for allowing me to be up here. I don't know, 19 years. I think it's more like 21, but I'll, I'll take 19. It makes me feel younger. Faith that fights. How many know a good fight is a fight you win? A bad fight is a fight that you lose. When uh, I, w I was in uh, elementary school, I was a little bit nervous because I was getting ready to start junior high. And, and junior high, everything is different because you in Elementary school in the same class all day, you got K through 6, and now junior high, the way they do it in California is K through 6 is elementary school, then junior high 7th and 8th, and then you go to high school 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th. But junior high was scary for me because like the first day of school, I mean, it's like you don't want to forget your locker combination, you, you, you know, see the prettiest girl in school, and Rita Sadea, she's 18 years, well, she's... 18, but she's in, she's flunked a few times, but she's in eighth grade, and she's just beautiful. And then, and then there's there, the bully, the bully of the school, Larry Hall. This guy was a bully. He picked on everybody, and you could see as kids were getting off the buses, he would ask for their lunch money, and I was avoiding him the first three weeks of school, and finally he cornered me, and he said, hey, tomorrow I want your lunch money. I was a seventh grader. He was eighth grade. This kid, was, he already had a beard. He was, he was big, and he was mean. And, and so I go home, and I tell my dad. I said, Dad, I said, this kid, he, he wants to fight me, and, and he's, he's picking on the kids, and he took, you know, their, their lunch money, and he wants mine. And my dad was the man of few words. He says, you're going to have to fight him. I go, sir? He goes, you're going to have to fight him. Um, you know, my dad was half Cherokee and half Irish. I mean, he's like, I mean, he... He was a fighter. My dad just was. I, I watched him knock our neighbor out when I was 12 years old. I'll never forget it. Knocked him cold. Knocked our neighbor out because he threw a board over the fence at my brother. My dad just went and kicked the hole in the fence. The guy stuck his head through it. Bam! Knocked him out. So my dad said, you're going to have to fight him. And I, I thought, I'm thinking to myself, this kid's big. He's going to, it's not going to be good. That's all my dad said. And he had another saying, don't talk about it, be about it. So the next day, I go to school, and I, I, I walk up to Ron Ochoa, the biggest kid in our school, Golden Globe boxer. I said, listen, see Larry? And I said, I'm going to fight him. He said, Larry will kill you. I said, I got to fight him. My dad told me I have to fight him. I, I said, I need you to help me, Ron. He goes, what do you want me to do? I said, listen, if I'm winning the fight, don't stop it. But if I'm losing, stop the fight. <laughs> so he goes, all right, all right. 
So I go up to Larry, and I go, Larry, I can't give you my lunch money. And then he just leaned forward, and I punched him as hard as I could in the nose. Just bam! And then we started fighting. That was the whole recess period we fought. And um, he had me down one time. He was, like, choking me. I, I was going to tap out, but uh, tapping out, you couldn't even, it wasn't even in yet. I didn't, I was just like, I, and, and I'm so glad the bell rang because they, they broke us up. And then I went to my uh, physical education, my PE class, and I looked in the mirror. I had a big black eye. I'm thinking, wow, I don't know if I'm doing very good here. He, I got a black eye. So I come out of my PE class, and he's running toward me, screaming. So I just hit him in the head with my binder, and then we fought again. Finally, in seventh period, they come over to the intercom, and they go, uh, Donnie Moore, come to the principal's office. I go down to Mr. Penzika's office. Mr. Penzika was our principal, and I'm sitting there. I'm all afraid, and he looks over at me and goes, I hear you've been fighting. I said, yes, sir. He goes, what's going on, Donnie? I said, my daddy told me I had to fight Larry. He, he asked for my lunch money, and he said he was going to take it. My dad said I had to fight him. And Mr. Pence, he goes, he goes, yeah. he goes, you fought him. He goes, you did pretty good. He said, you know, you broke his nose. He's at the hospital right now getting some stitches. He goes, go back to class. <laughs> so I get up, and I, I start walking out the door, and he goes, he says to me, he goes, because you did good. He goes, he goes, I don't think he was going to ask for your lunch money anymore. Now, I, I, I speak in a lot of public schools. I don't, I don't recommend that's how you deal with bullies, but that's how my dad in that generation dealt with bullies. And, you know, sometimes in life, you, you just have to fight. You, you, we all go through things, and, and the question I asked this morning, are, are we fighting for faith, or is faith fighting for us? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The Bible says the evidence of things not seen. God puts no limitations on faith, and faith puts no limitations on God. Amen, brother. That was a good point. Could Say that again. <clears throat> I was encouraging myself. I said, God puts no limitations on faith, and faith puts no limitations on God. Faith is in the now. Hope is in the future. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. And in 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul said, I fought the good fight. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. He didn't say, fight the good fight of Paul. He didn't say, fight the good fight of Timothy. He didn't say, fight the good fight of Peter. If he would have said that, it would have been Peter's fight. It would have been Timothy's fight. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Now, we speak of faith as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We speak of it as a gift of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. But in 1 Timothy 6, 12, depicts faith as a weapon of the Spirit. The essence of the Scripture is my faith is what fights for me. Fight the good fight of faith, which means ultimately it's faith's fight. Now, life has no questions that faith cannot answer. I'm going to try this side over here. You guys look friendlier. I said life has no questions that faith cannot answer. What is it in this hour of dilemma and despair that's going to fight to keep you intact as a Christian? It's faith. What is it that's going to rise up a mighty pillar of truth against the onslaught of the enemy? It's faith. What is it's going to punch holes in this present darkness we're living in? It's faith. What is it's going to fuel our vision for revival? It's faith. 
It's not the politician, the economist, the philosopher, the professor, the so-called theologian, or the secular humanist. The thing that's going to give us answers in this crisis hour is old-fashioned faith in God and faith in his word. See, the Bible says the just shall live by explanation. The Bible says the just shall live by opinion. The just shall live by faith. Faith has never lost a battle. Ask Moses, Joshua, David, Enoch. By faith, Abel. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. Faith has never lost a battle. By faith, Noah rode a storm into a rainbow. By faith, Abraham and Sarah birthed a promise into a people. By faith, Moses made a rolling sea a traveling surface. By faith, Rahab was transformed from a prostitute to a princess. Uh, by faith, Gideon, he went from a coward to a commander. By faith. Now, there's a difference between faith and a miracle. We, we want miracles. I love miracles. But some people, they have almost gotten crazy. I got friends. I love them all my heart. But they, they, they feel like they have to help God. You know, I, I was at a, a, me, a meeting recently, and there were some well-known people there. We were in the back room, and I was speaking in one of the morning sessions. And they had people from all different denominations. And people in the back room were, like, talking, each one of them, about how great manifestation they were seeing in their ministry. One guy talked about, you know, he has a special name for his angels that are around him. He has, like, like nicknames for his angels. And then the next guy, he, 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 was, he was saying that a prophet stuck his head through his, his wall last night and, and, and spoke to him. And I, I was just kind of standing there, and I felt bad because I hadn't had anything like that happen. So I, I decided to make something up. I, I, it got to me, I said, hey... Guy came to my meeting last week, he didn't have a head. And I prayed for him, and God gave him a head. <laughs> I go, listen, listen to me, folks. This is the truth. God gives us a calling to destiny, to purpose. And along the way, he gives us experiences. Thank God for the experiences. But what we have done, and a lot of the body of Christ, we have made the experience the purpose. We're the real people over here. I'm, I'm talking. See, nothing wrong with experiences, but we can't camp at experience. Now, God, sometimes he will give a miracle. Thank God for the miracles. But sometimes he wants us to walk through something in faith. See, a miracle would have put out the fiery furnace through the three Hebrew children. But faith kept them in it while it burned. A miracle would have put out. The fiery furnace. But faith kept them in it while it burned. A miracle would have killed the lions in Daniel's den. But faith kept him safe as he walked among the lions. Thank God for miracles. But when you walk through something in faith, there's something that's developed in you. 
Because, see, you don't learn faith by the lecture method. You learn it in the laboratory of life. God is not as interested in the impartation of faith as he is in the development of faith. And he knows that faith develops best when it's against something. I mean, I mean, no, Roger, you can go in the weight room and you can look at the weights and you don't get any stronger looking at them. Huh? But when you get under the weight and you begin to push, everybody say push. Huh? You begin to push. I don't even know what's happened to weight rooms. I travel a lot. I like to go in and get a workout. And now they got machines. Everything's machines. And, and, and everybody wearing designer workout clothes and all these rooms. And people are doing all kinds of funny stuff. And people are they're climbing ladders that you never get to the top. <laughs> they ride bicycles that go nowhere. And they, they got that one machine, the only ladies get on it, they sit and they go like that with their legs. Hey, I don't know what that machine's for, but if there's ever a lady on it, if there's a guy around it, he's creepy. Don't even get that guy, some creepy guy, he's acting like he's stretching out and he's near that machine. Ladies, beware. Can I say that in church? I'm not. Oh. But when you get under the weight and you begin to push the weight, blood is beginning to flow to those muscles and oxygen and, and the muscle begins to grow and is developed. See, faith is ambition. It's never satisfied to be small if you want to keep it. You must use it. And sometimes you'll talk about the facts of faith. Other times you'll talk about the acts of faith. It's not a tough, enough to talk about the facts if you don't have the acts. Well, darling, well, what does faith fight? Number one, faith fights fear. Second uh, Timothy 1.7 says, For God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and a sound mind. My daughter Brooke is 23 now. When she was three years old, she was paralyzed with fear. And one night I went into her room and I said, Brookie, I'm going to teach you a scripture and I want you to say it after me. For God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. For God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. I said, but one of love, power. But one of love, power. And a sound mind. And a sound mind. I said, Brookie, say that over and over. I'm not leaving here till you memorize it. I said, and when you feel that fear come on you, or that devil comes in here and try to put fear in your life, speak that out. She goes, okay, Daddy. So I left, and I'm standing outside the door. And there in the doorway I heard after about two minutes, devil, oh, devil. <laughs> For God hasn't given me a spell of fear, but love, love, power, a sound mind. You get in the garbage can. <laughs> Faith and fear are enemies. Fear has torment. Any torment is not of God. It's the devil. Faith is the white Corpuscles of spiritual anatomy. Anytime infection, bacteria gets in your body, your white corpuscles come surround it and smother it. Now, if you got active faith in your life, anytime the bacteria of doubt, fear, error comes in, here come the white corpuscles of faith. Ta-da, 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 ta-da. Where you going? A child of God has just released me. Faith fights, conquers, and destroys fear. Now, the second thing that Faith fights is feelings. You can't always depend on your feelings. 
If the devil finds out you live by your feelings all the time, he'll keep you as nervous as a termite in a yo-yo. Feelings change. The divine purpose of recovery, you can't walk by your feelings. People all the time, feelings. I don't feel like serving God. I, I just don't feel like it. And it's hard. It's hard. It's hard being single. It's hard being married. It's hard being a dog. It's hard being a cat. It's hard being a parakeet. Life is hard. Life is going to punch you in the nose. Someone recently said, well, Donnie, I, I come from a dysfunctional family. All our families are jacked up. In some way or another, all of you got crazy relatives. You just had Christmas. Come on. My aunt, she'd always give me nutty stuff. I, and my mom would always say, now, Donnie, it's not the gift. It's the thought. And I'd always think, what was she thinking when she bought it? It's, we, we've got crazy, my relatives in Virginia, man, hillbillies, they're, they're up there in the mountains. I went back, I did my uncle's funeral, and they cremated him, they had him in a urine, and my cousin got mad at his stepmom and stole my uncle. <laughs> he put him in the trunk, he's driving, and they can't find him. He's got Uncle Leonard. We had to call the police to pull my cousin over to get Uncle Leonard back so we could do the funeral. Then my other cousin got mad. He was upset, and he's a bouncer in the bar, so I had to go to the bar. I'm a preacher. I'm, I'm at the bar to get my cousin. And this was a rough bar. It's so rough. They frisk you when you come in. If you don't have a weapon, they give you one. That's how rough it is. I got some crazy relatives. So do you. We all have it. The Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight. Feelings are like a sailboat. They go the way the wind goes. Faith is like a steamboat. It goes where the captain says. How do you think Noah felt? He'd never been on a boat in his life, and God said, build one. He didn't live next to the ocean. He, it wasn't like a little canoe, a kayak. He was building in his garage. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, with one window, one with two of every animal on the face of the earth, one window. How many know there are some people fighting for window, some fresh air time with two of every animal? You're talking about time out? Could you imagine if mom was, hey, listen, you're going to stand there with the hippopotamus in another couple hours. <laughs> Give me time with window. I want window time. Fresh air. Can you see when Noah was building this ark with his sons? I could see one of his kids after about 20 years. Hey, Dad, could you tell us one more time what God really said, please? Because everybody's laughing at us. And the Bible says in Genesis 7 and 5, and Noah did all the Lord commanded him. What was fighting his feelings? It was faith in the God that called him to do it. Job, how do you feel? The Bible calls him a righteous man. Everything went wrong. His children were killed. Fire fell on the sheep. Chaldeans carried off his camels, and his wife backslid. Don't you know his wife backslid? If you get up in the morning, and your wife comes in while you're shaving, and she says, curse God and die. That's not a word from God. 
And Job had friends, and they came and they sat in a circle for seven days and stared at him. I'm sure Job was waiting for somebody with a, an encouraging word. And his first friend spoke up and said, you're a hypocrite. His second friend, you have a hidden sin in your life. Don't, don't you hate people that are so spiritual when you're going through something? They come and they're just like, I have a word for you. <laughs> you know, I always tell people that come to me now, I got a word for you. I always go, are you sure? That cuts out about half of them right away. Just, <laughs> but wait, just, <laughs> a word for you. <laughs> what, really? How do you know? I know. No, I have a word for you. There's some people, I'm telling you, you go through something, you don't call them. They might be your friends, but you don't call them. You call some people up, hey, I got a little pain right here in my back. It's been kind of bothering me. Yeah, my aunt had that. She died in two weeks. Thank you for that encouragement. His first friend, you're a hypocrite. Hidden sin in your life. Third friend, you failed God somewhere. Fourth friend, you're a sinner and a hypocrite. For 18 chapters, where's Job's pastor? Or his Bible? He was sitting in a city dump, scratching himself with a broken piece of pottery. Can't you hear him? Finally, he just says, shut up! I've listened to you guys for 18 chapters! I don't know why my children are gone or why my wife is backslid. But there's one thing that I do know. I know that my Redeemer, he lives. And in the end, he's going to stand on the earth. That's, I do know that. Faith can transform the afflictions of life into a ladder that you can climb to heaven on. Faith fights fear. Faith fights feelings. Faith fights facts. Facts and figures don't lie, but faith can overcome them, work in spite of them. Faith can neutralize them. Only faith in God can take Goliath's sword, simply destroy you, and cut his head off of it. I got saved because of steroids. I was using them illegally in college, got very sick. There's something about my system, my, my chemical makeup, that I, I can't do steroids. And I did them. I'm not proud of that, but I got very sick. I came to Christ. Cindy and I prayed. The doctors had told us that they, we would not have children because of the steroid use prayed year, two years, three years, four years, five years, prayed diligently. Cindy would wake up in the morning, and my pillow would be wet with tears, for I had wept most of the night, asking God for us to get pregnant so we could have a child. Six years, seven years, eight years had passed, praying, believing. I was into adoption, was even looking into it, but there was something in my heart that said, Cindy's going to conceive, you're going you're to have a baby. And Cindy, after eight and a half years of praying, came to me one day. She said, I'm late. And she wasn't talking about being late for work. Uh, she was late. And so she told me to go get a home pregnancy test. I didn't even know what a home pregnancy test was. So I go down to the store, and I go in to get a home pregnancy test. And this lady takes me to the back, and she's showing me the various ones. I'm thinking, I hope no one here recognizes me. I've done schools there in Stockton a lot, and People know who I am, and I was a little concerned that I was buying a home pregnancy test, somebody maybe from the church or somebody in the community would see me. So I was trying to hurry the lady up, and she just, well, this one here really works the best. And I don't know why when you go to buy something like that, there's a woman there. Not, not that women are bad. You've got to understand. But when I was a kid, my mom would send me to the store to get those feminine products for my sister and her, and there's always a woman. Like, I'll take one of those and two of them and put them in a big bag, 
and wrap it really so no one can see. But anyway, I'm, I, I finally just grabbed the home pregnancy test. I go to the checkout, and the guy, he's got the mic. He pulls out price check number nine, home pregnancy. I go, no! I go, I'll pay you $30. You're not, you can't, you don't say that anymore. So I get the home pregnancy test home. I go, here, take it. She goes, I can't take it till morning. So we're, I'm up all night. She takes it in the morning. She comes out of the bathroom. She goes, well, Donnie, I'm, I'm kind of pregnant, I think. I go, what do you mean, kind of? You think either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. She goes, go get another one. I said, go get another one. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll go get another one. I said, but you're coming with me. So she goes to the store with me. We go in, and there's a magazine rack there. And she goes, I'll wait here next to the magazine rack. And what are you talking about? She goes, I- I'm going to wait here next to the magazine rack. She goes, people here know me. I shop here. I go, people here know me. I was here yesterday buying one. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something, men. You can go to all the conferences. You can read all the books you want, but you'll never figure women out. I'm going to tell you why. God made them while we were asleep. <laughs> Listen to me. Adam went to sleep single, woke up married. And if you're here and you're single, you don't go to sleep when God's working. I'm telling you right now, guys. You know what? You don't know what's going to happen. So we, we get it home. She takes it. Three days later, she takes a blood test. We're pregnant. I am so fired up. I instantly went down and got every book I could on pregnancy. I began to read them. You'd have been proud of me, Dr. Johnson. I was reading. I was, I was, I knew what, when the water breaks, what happens. I never heard of that term, when the water, I knew. I knew potassium when you, and helps with the, contra- I knew, it starts it. I knew, I, I was ready. I, I even practiced the breathing techniques. They had the feather breathing where you drop a feather from the ceiling and you go, <laughs> and then focus breathing, like, look at me. And then she looks at you and you, <laughs> I had the focus breathing down. I'm telling you, I, I, the whole nine months, I was in preparation. I was ready to go in that delivery room. I had my clipboard, my whistle, my cap. Coach Donnie was ready. I and then we got in that delivery room, and those contractions came. This little five foot four, 124-pound brunette that I met in college changed into a monster. She, no, this contraction. I'm going, focus! Focus! And then I read where you get, like, the crushed ice. I went and got crushed ice. I put it on her lip. I go, here, baby, here. She spit it at me. <laughs> I put on some soft music. He goes, turn it off. So I started rubbing her back. She goes, don't touch me. And she just looks at me, look what you've done to me. And I thought, you keep this up. I'm going to take my hat, whistle, clipboard. I'm going to leave. I'm, you're, done, you're losing a good coach. And then that big contraction came, and then she just, like, looks at me, and I'm, focus, focus. And it's, like, time to do the breathing. I go, breathe with me. We got through that contraction. And then another contraction came. Got got through that one. I was like, man, I'm doing good. I'm really doing, I'm doing a good coach here. And then they started coming faster. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. So my fingers started getting 
like tingly. I'm holding on to the side of the bed. I go, I'm hyperventilating. Ha, ha, foo. Oh my God, I'm passing it out. Out, ah, ha, The doctor said, you can push. I said, I'm too tired. I totally passed out. Seriously, I woke up in time for my my daughter to be born. And they hand you the scissors now. The guys, you know, they, uh, cut the umbilical cord, Mr. Moore. I was so nervous. The doctor's like, that's my wrist. A very thin doctor. So I cut the umbilical cord. Then they hand a little rookie to me. She opens her eyes. She goes, get, get, get. And I was like, oh, God. I, was, I was gone, man. I was, it just killed me. It was awesome. Then we had another one. And then another. So I have a 23-year-old, 20, and my boy is now DJ 16. Faith fights facts. God said to Abram, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, father of nations. How many kids do you have, Abraham? Zero. 15 years. 20 years. What's your name, Abraham? How many kids do you have? Zero. 25 years. How old are you, Abraham? 100. How old are you, Sarah? 90, holding. 90, 100. Hey, have you two studied eighth grade biology? But just as God promised, Isaac was born, his seed became as the stars of the sky, and sand at the seashore. And now, when, when he is a young man, Isaac, God comes, and, he, and, he, and, and when you read it, in your Bible, it says that God says to Abraham, take your son. And then he says to him, take your only son. Then he says in one translation, the son you love. Interesting to me. Fascinating. Because I believe that there was a conversation going on between God and Abraham. And, and it went probably something like this. Take your son. I have two sons. The son you love. I love both of my sons. And then he says, take Isaac. God will name the thing in your life he wants you to put on an altar. Take your son. You've got two sons. Son you love. Love both my sons. Take Isaac. He's taken him to Mount Moriah. Three-day journey. What does he have? He has a promise and he has faith. He starts at the foot of the mountain. He's going up one side. We know the story. When he gets to the top, there's a ram in the thicket. But that ram didn't just appear in the thicket. That ram had to get up the side of the mountain. And I submit to you, when Abraham is going up one side of the mountain, walking in faith, the answer's coming up the other side, but he can't see it. And that's how it is with God. We're walking by faith. We're trusting. We're believing. We're trying to be obedient. And we don't see the answer. But when he gets to the top, 
There is the answer. Let me conclude with this. Faith fights. Donnie, what does faith fight? Fear, feelings, facts. And lastly, fatalism. You ever felt hopeless? Donnie, people, they don't know what I'm going through. Yeah, but faith does. Faith does. You've been hit with something so hard that you question God, God's existence, or if God even cares, or if God e even is there. You ever been through something like that? I have. 2008, I was training for the World Bench Press Contest for 50 and older, and I was buying supplements across the counter. I didn't know, but the supplements that I was putting in my body were laced with a steroid. And I told you my body doesn't respond to steroids. And so things started getting whacked out. I stopped sleeping. I went one week, two weeks, talking about a hormonal rage. It was horrible to my wife, to anybody around me. I was probably up here, Doc Johnson, and with Stan, and you guys, about two or three weeks into it. I didn't know, but later, Cindy had been talking to Dr. Chris on the phone, trying to diagnose what's going on. It sent me into what they call mania, and it got really bad, really bad. I went to various doctors down there for help, and I'm one of the 7% that can't take antidepressants. If you're taking an antidepressant, the doctor's prescribed it, you need it, great, it helps you. You do what your doctor tells you to do, but I'm one of those that couldn't take, I didn't know my body react this way, so it made it worse. Thoughts of suicide, I didn't care if I ever preached again, I wanted to die. I was at the lowest I've ever been in my life. Checked my heart for sin, I was confessing stuff I never did, I was just trying to get right with God, I didn't know. Pray three hours, nothing, no answer. Four hours. One day I remember praying six hours. God, where are you? Week after week, month after month. Do you even care? I got to the lowest point a couple of times where, where I didn't know what to do or who to turn to. And I had friends, many friends, praying for me, loving me. Even Rachel, your mother and father, Tiffany, you know, just different people that just were so kind, gracious, of course, my dear friend Stan, one of my closest friends in the whole world. All those people, but you at the same time going, God, am I going to come out of this? And I remember one night, it was like the enemy said, just curse God. And I just said, God, I won't curse you. One of the players for the Oakland A's at the time, his name was Eric Chavez. Him and another player called me and said, we're going to come and see you. I said, you don't want to see me. I was too embarrassed. They came in, they said, we're going to take you to our, our team doctor. The team doctor for the Oakland A's has treated throughout years different players, not just with our organization, other organizations that have had steroid reactions and all kinds of difficulties. And he set me down, and he put me on a regiment. And when six weeks, he told me I'd start coming out of this after eight months of hell. Well, why are you saying this, Donnie? Why are you sharing that? Because... You know, it's, it's an amazing how people sometimes will put you up as a man of God or look to you. I don't care any longer about any of that. Here, here, here's what I really care about is helping people. 
And more than anything else in my life right now, I know people go through stuff and they don't know why. And if I could say anything to you in closing that I've learned, don't lose faith in God. You see, because God didn't do it in your life the way he did it in the life of the person beside you doesn't mean that God is not evident or relevant in your life. Maybe he's taking you a different way. It may take you longer. It may be harder, more difficult. But he knows how to get you where you need to be. And he knows what it's going to take to get you there. But don't lose faith in God. You see, we, we say often, God is just. God is just, but God is not fair. Not the way we understand fairness. You see, when people say God is fair, it suggests that God did it for me this way, and he's going to do it for you the same way. He knows I might be able to handle what you can't handle, and you can handle what I can't handle. I may want something that I can't even handle. A girl came to me. She said, well, Donnie, God is supposed to make me happy. I said, that's not true. There's nothing further from the truth. She said, why? I said, because your idea of what will make you happy could kill you in six months. We have created theologies that cause people to walk away from God. We have reduced God so often to a formula. Then you lose faith in God because he didn't do it for you the way you heard he did it for someone else. He never told you he was going to give it to you the way he gave it to someone else. I know, brother, sister, came to church and they were prayed over and they got an inheritance and they paid off their debt. But you might have to make payments. But no one says that. And I heard a preacher say last week on television, God's no respecter of persons. He's a respecter of faith and what God did for me, he'll do for you. So when you sow into my ministry and I get a new car, every time I get a new car, you'll get a new car. And that theology has hurt people. Don't lose faith in God because he chose to take you through a process that takes longer than the people you heard about. Be surprised the people in this room, even though they go to church, they lift their hands and they sing songs. They've lost faith in God. They go through all the Moses of church. But inside, their faith has been injured. And although we have the same God, he deals with us differently. Your testimony may inspire me, but I refuse to allow it to frustrate me. Your testimony, it'll inspire me, but I refuse to let it frustrate me. You know, Darwin Benjamin, who travels with me, and, and Darwin was a drug addict for eight and a half years. And he came to hear me preach one night. I played college football with him, and he came to hear me, drug addict, eight and a half years, and one night he was saved, he was filled with the Spirit, and never went back to drugs, and has walked free for over 20 years. And people hear that, and they applaud. But I look out in the audience, and I see people that love God, but they're still battling with addiction 20 years later. And you, you see, some of you out here this morning, you know, you're going through stuff. And we, we, we so often, you know, treat it like, well, just believe God. Everything's fine. And it's not that simple. 
And, and see, here's what happens. People, what they do is they start to lose faith in God, and then they lose faith in themselves. And they say, you know what? God didn't do that for me the way he did it for you. And maybe God doesn't care about me. And so what happens after you lose faith in God, you start losing faith in yourself and you start saying things like, there must be something wrong with me. Because I didn't get it the way that guy on television or maybe someone that got up and shared their testimony. And I rejoice in testimonies, don't get me wrong. I thank God for testimonies. But don't allow somebody's testimony to frustrate you. Let it inspire you, but don't let it frustrate you. That's why I open up with my life right now and I share what I've been through because if it can help somebody that's out there this morning as the worship team comes and we close, if it can help somebody go, you know what, Donnie, I live on that street right now. Listen to me very carefully. Last week I was reading in uh, Job 42, and it says, after this, Job lived 140 years. After this? I've never seen that before. After all the hell he went through. After all the pain, after losing his family and losing his wealth, after this, Job lived 140 years. Anybody here this morning need an after this? The Bible says in the book of Genesis, after the flood, Noah lived 450 years. After the flood. After devastation. After everything, I don't even know if Candace is here this morning, but uh, I was coming from the airport last night and Stan was playing that song uh, about more, so much more. And the, the whole idea of the song is about being created for, I'm created for so much more, and about hardships and difficulties and, and things we go through, but keeping your eyes on the prize, keeping your eyes that... God has something more. God, God has something more for you. It's not over. There's too much purpose over your life for you to die. After this, Job lived 140 years. After the flood, Noah lived 450 years. After this, don't lose faith in God. He hasn't given up on you. He still knows your address. And he's taking you through a process. I'm going to tell you something. I'm a better husband today. I'm a better man today. I'm a better friend today. I hated 2008. But I learned so much about me. How selfish prideful how ugly Donnie Moore really really and who he is and I'm not there yet God's still got a lot of work to do maybe you, you've arrived and I'm glad you have pray for me because I haven't but I want to be and you see the miracle it just happens thank God for him but sometimes the process. <sighs> but you get out on the other side. I, I found out that people, they don't want to hear from somebody who hasn't been through something. <laughs> they
They want to hear from somebody who's been through something come out on the other side. We're all in process. And we're all different places. So don't let anybody's testimony any longer frustrate you. I used to feel sorry for pastors that you never see somebody on Christian television. I'm pastoring 100 people. Our church is thriving, man. We are, we're, we're just really a good church. We got to be the biggest, the best. We can't even come to the altar and get prayed for. Without. She fell down. I didn't fall down. I didn't. People talked about the presence of God. I didn't feel anything. Uh, uh, real people, you guys back here, where are you at? Because I'm telling you, I'm speaking to somebody today because some of you right now, you're battling fear in your life. Fear of the unknown, fear of rejection, fear of this new year. It's going to be downsized. Am I going to lose my job? Maybe it's going to be cutbacks. Am I on the chopping block? Fear of my marriage is going to make another year. Is, is my children going to serve God? Just fear. Some of us feelings, feelings of discouragement, feelings of depression, feelings of, of wanting to quit, feelings that, that are real, that are valid, that just come like a weight. It's hard for some of you to even think clearly because you're under such stress at your job that you come home and you're fatigued and you're battling every day. Just can I make it? Feelings of loneliness, feelings of depression, feelings. And some facts, battling physical ailments in our body, sickness, facts. Facts and figures don't lie, but faith can overcome them. Fatalism. There's a difference between feeling like quitting and quitting. Come on, if you're breathing, hear me. If you're breathing today, you're taking in oxygen. You're here. You can't quit. I don't care how dark it is, how low you feel, there's hope. There's hope. Because I know he brought me out. When people come up to me now and they say, Donnie, I'm battling depression. I know, never been depressed a day in my life, but 2008, I, I've been there. Changes the whole, because preaching what you don't know, preaching what you don't know is like coming back from where you haven't been. <laughs> I've been there. People come up to me all the time, you know, I'm 21 years old. I'm a life coach. You have any advice for me, Donnie? Yeah, live life. You know why? Because it takes time. It takes time to have a good marriage. It takes time to have a good ministry. It takes time. A guy came up to me a couple weeks ago. Donnie, I'm, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I love my wife. I'm faithful. How long have you been married? A year. I go, shut up. Oh, you're faithful. <laughs> it takes time. It's a process and it's a journey. 